0: In a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump, all your place looks like a dump. Live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone. Fix up your home sweet home. I call an
1: 888 money pit.
2: The money pit is
3: presented by Quick Creek and master Now here are Tom and Leslie
4: coast to coast and floorboards to shingles. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom
0: Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti.
4: And happy holidays on this super busy holiday weekend. I'm guessing you're probably not picking up the hammers or the tape measures and doing any work around your house, unless maybe it's some more decorating work. Hey, how many folks out there wait until Christmas Eve to put up the Christmas tree? I know that's a big tradition for some families across the country. Me, I can't imagine doing that because I want to be done by Christmas Eve. I'm exhausted. I want to sit down and relax and just stare at the pretty lights. But I know a lot of folks are doing that. If that's on your to-do list or if you want to talk about a project that you're going to tackle in the year ahead... Now's a great time to pick up the phone and call us at one eight 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 money pit 888 3974 because that's what we do. We are here to help you plan and perfect those projects around your house. And we're going to help you plan and perfect the project you might be doing this weekend, and that's cooking right now, because if you're thinking that now's the time to start planning a new kitchen, because all that cooking that you're doing has been something you've been sort of fighting against. Maybe the kitchen is not working. The design isn't working. The appliances are old. The cabinets are crappy. You know, maybe this is the time when you say, that's it, I can't stand it. I'm going to do a kitchen in the new year. Well, that'd be a great project to chat about, and that is exactly why January becomes one of the busiest months of the year for kitchens, because people just say, I have had it with my (laughs) kitchen, and I am ready for a change. If that is a project on your to-do list, we're going to have a tip coming up about windows designed for kitchens that can add a whole lot of light, and they're not the kind of windows that you're thinking about. So we'll tell you more in just a bit.
0: Plus, if you've been feeling the chill in your house or maybe just panicking at your costly heating bills, we're going to have some tips on the single most cost-effective ways that you can improve both.
4: And if you're heading over the river and through the woods to celebrate the holidays at grandma's house or anybody else's house, you want to make sure your car has got an emergency kit at the ready. We'll tell you how to stock it. So give us a call right now. We're ready to chat about your house. The number is one Money Pit.
0: Joe in Maryland is on the line and has a question about a blocked drain. What is going on?
3: Leslie, as I was going through my front door to enjoy my Thanksgiving dinner with my family and leaving the house, I heard my watchdog water alarm go off. Uh oh. And my heart sank. So I ran down to the basement, and my basement was partly flooded. And after calling the plumber, I couldn't find the leak. The plumber came. He looked and looked. He couldn't find the leak either. So he went into the basement, I mean into the bathroom of the finished part of the basement, and he looked under the vanity, looked into the toilet tank, couldn't find anything. Then he flushed the toilet and water just overflowed everywhere.
4: So you had a block sewer line that backed up? Is that what happened? Yes, sir. The main
3: drain to the septic tank backed up. Yeah. So I I got over a company that's similar to Mm Roto-Rooter, and they cleared it out. But I'm hoping, I don't know what kind of periodic maintenance I might do, To prevent that from happening again, I asked the person who cleared out the drain, I I asked him that question, Mm -hmm. and he said, well, he said, the more water that goes through there, the better. Right. He said, because water goes through easily, Uh, solids, he said they have a tendency to hang up just a little bit.
4: Yeah, and then they back up. So there were no roots or anything like that in the pipe that caused this? It was just a buildup of waste?
3: Yes, but let me tell you this. The angle of that drain pipe into the septic system, I saw it when they were putting it into the ground because I owned a lot when the house was being built. And I I don't think they put a steep enough grade onto Mm -hmm. that pipe.
4: Right. Well, look, I mean, to do that kind of work right now, how long have you been in this house?
3: Uh, Over 40 years. It happened about 10 years ago. My entire basement got flooded. I had to have the a uh, siding or the paneling replaced, the carpeting, the whole bathroom had to be redone all over because the wicking went right up the walls and everything.
4: So it happened 10 years ago and then it happened again recently. So, I mean, the, the options are either to reconfigure that plumbing line so that it has a better pitch. Maybe if it's cast iron, replace it with PVC, which is a lot smoother inside and less likely to get hung up. You know, or you could just commit to a maintenance schedule where you're uh, clearly clearing that pipe, having that pipe, uh, clear, you know, about every, uh, three to five years. And this way you'll stay ahead of any buildup. I mean, that's really your options. You know, by the way, it occurs to me that this is something that should be covered by your homeowner's insurance because it's a sudden incidental flood. It's not an ongoing thing. If you get a flood from a plumbing system and it happens all at once like that, that's covered by homeowner's insurance. I see. So you might want to reach out to your carrier and, uh, file a claim, they've already done the work or at least alert them to this because uh, plumbing that uh, that breaks or backs up like that, that's called sudden and incidental. It's not the result of you just like allowing a pipe to to drip for months on months. If it happens like that all at once because of a plumbing emergency, then that's covered by homeowner's insurance.
3: Okay. I all right. wasn't sure of that, Tom.
4: I think so. And I think, uh, you know, you, you can call your insurance company or you can call a uh, a public adjuster. Uh, you know they don't work for the insurance company. They work for you. They work on a on a percentage of what they collect, and usually I find see. every darn thing that's wrong with that space, <laughs> every layer of paint, every nail is accounted for uh, when they submit I that see. claim. Okay.
3: Yes, sir. Thank you very much. For You're welcome. Your Good luck body. with that
4: project. Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit.
0: Jody in Delaware, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? I. I I actually have a problem with my foundation. It's an
2: exposed foundation about three feet high around the whole footprint of the house is exposed. It's a cement block foundation that had parging on it originally, and the parging was cracking, so it was recommended by a masonry contractor to put dry lock over it. So this is what I did. I put, um, it's a, it, they, they add color to the dry lock. So I put it over the whole foundation and it started to crack and peel and bubble.
4: Yeah, you didn't adhere properly. First of all, isn't dry lock usually an interior uh, masonry paint, not an exterior masonry paint?
2: Well, this particular masonry guy told me that he's actually used it on the bottom of swimming pools. So he thought that it would work. And when when he saw it later, he said, wow, I've never seen it do that.
4: Yeah. How about that? Just (laughs) experiment with your house.
2: I did call the dry lock people, too. Yeah. And talk to them. And they, they told me to try to power wash it, try scraping it. But it's just become like a huge mess, you know. I mean, it peels in some places. Some places it adhered.
4: Yeah, the problem is that now that you've got that on there, you've got to get it off because you can't put any. You can't put new stuff over the bad old stuff. It just will continue to peel.
2: Yeah, the problem is, is that uh, we are on um, filled in marshland is where the is where, the, and so we're on clay and sand. And the cement block, you know, it sort of leaches up through there, so it's always sort of ha- sort of damp coming up yeah. from the ground anyway.
4: Yeah, that's what I was gonna. Th- that's what I was kind of thinking. I was thinking the block wall might have been wet when you applied it. It might have been visibly wet, but see, those block walls are hydroscopic. They absorb water really, really well. And so if you if it's on a moist situation that water's going to draw up get behind that paint and nothing causes paint to peel faster than than water. So unfortunately at this stage you're going to have to strip that off.
2: Oh my gosh, and we're right on we're right on the water. You know what I mean? We're on the bay. So I'm always worried about things that are not environmentally friendly.
4: The other thing that I think you probably could do and this is a you know this is a big job in and of itself though. Is you could have a mason attach um a woven wire mesh to that foundation and restucco it, and in that case, it could go right on top of the old junky paint because you're not really sticking to the foundation, you're sticking to the mesh, so that's another possibility
2: I gotcha, yeah. Yeah, because I guess in some places that was used before underneath the parging.
4: Well, the parging, the parging is simply a stucco coat that goes on top of the block wall, and it's typical for the parging to crack, and usually it cracks along the lines of the of the of the masonry block. Yep, that's what it did. And that's not necessarily a defect. That's pretty much just the way it goes with that stuff, especially if they don't put it on thick enough. So I would consider, if you really want to have it to look like a traditional masonry foundation, I would consider having mesh put up there and then properly restucked If not, you're just going to have to peel that paint off any way you can. You would, you, I would, might take a look at some of the citrus-based uh, paint strippers if you have some that's really hard to get off.
0: All right. Thank you so much.
4: All right. Sorry to have better news. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
0: You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. We're here to handle your call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So give us a call at 888-MONEY-PIT.
4: Hey, if all that cooking you're doing now has you thinking that it's time to start planning a new kitchen that actually works with you instead of against you, we're going to have tips on a cool new trend that can add a lot of light to your space just where you need it next. You
1: live in a Money Pit.
4: making good homes better. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
0: And I'm Leslie Segretti.
4: Pick up the phone, give us a call right now. We are in the holiday spirit, so we're giving away this hour five copies of our book, My Home, My Money Pit, your guide to every home improvement adventure. It's like an owner's manual for your house. It's got tips, advice, a bit of humor to help you take care of your home sweet home. Going out to five listeners this hour. So pick up the phone, give us a call. We'll draw those names at random at the end of the show. The number is 1-888-MONEY-PIT.
0: Robert in North Dakota, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today?
1: I have a friend who's uh, planning on building a a horse arena, an indoor horse arena, uh, the place where we board our horses. Uh, it's going to be a very large arena. I'm sure they're going to inflate it well. There'll probably be some stalls inside, uh, dirt floor, so uh, for riding. Uh, so there'll probably be some bobcats, you know, in and out of there occasionally, changing the dirt out. And my question is, as far as heating, she's doing some research to try to find the best, uh, you know, cost-effective and efficient way to heat this. Uh, so far, I think she's kind of narrowed it down to coal. Uh, I mentioned to her about solar. Uh, I also mentioned geothermal. What, in your opinion, would be the best efficient and cost-effective way to heat this arena?
4: So first of all, uh, when you talk about solar and and coal, you're talking about fuels. What kind of heating system does she want to use?
1: Well, I think I suspect she might be using water. Uh, You know, I'm I'm thinking under the dirt, possibly a water type. uh...
4: Yeah, I don't know how that's possible if you're going to have bobcats driving over that. I would think that's too heavy.
1: What about um, you know some sort of uh, blowers?
4: Well, yeah, like a forced air system. I mean, that's probably going to be something in, in, in line with that approach. Now, in terms of solar, what I would do is if I was building a barn, I would make sure that I designed it to take advantage of passive solar energy. So essentially, you would design the windows in the barn so that it captures uh, the, su- the sun in the winter. And protects of, from overhead sun in the summer. So it doesn't overheat in the summer, but, but traps some of the heat in the winter. The idea of passive solar energy as a design concept is something you definitely should look into. Uh, in terms of fuel, you know, it doesn't, the fuel is only part of the equation. It's really what kind of system you're going to use. So if you were going to use coal, I doubt that you're going to be using a forced air system. Okay, You're probably with a forced air system. I I don't know that I've seen it coal fired. I've seen forced air uh, with wood fire. And I've also seen wood fired boilers where you have a wood fired boiler that would convert uh, to a hot water coil that air is blown over in the sense it's an air to air uh, heat exchanger that way or a water to air heat exchanger.
1: Okay. So you don't think the coal uh, as the energy source maybe somehow work uh, with the forced yeah, air combined? It
4: depends on what the heating system is. It's got to be properly matched with the heating system. Okay. If coal's readily available and there's a system that's designed to work with it, then it could be a fine fuel, but it really depends on what the system
1: is. It is readily available. It's about uh, probably 10 miles down the road from where she's going to build this, oh, I
5: this facility. I see
4: why she's interested in it then, yeah. If I was you, I would focus on the system first and the fuel second. And if you want to use coal as the fuel Just make sure you have a good, efficient system in which to burn it.
1: All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it and love your show.
4: Well, as we move closer to the new year, one of the trends that window manufacturers are predicting is actually pretty interesting. Manufacturers are telling us that privacy windows, and in particular, transom windows, are going to be more popular than ever before.
0: Now, if you're wondering what a transom window is, you've probably seen them only in old movies because... They were super common in the days before air conditioning. We're talking about the tilt-in windows that were typically above interior doors. Now these were there to help the air circulate with the door closed before air conditioning was common. Now window manufacturer Highlight reports that top overall selling product in 2017 was the prairie style four foot by one foot new construction frame transom window. That's quadrupling in sales over the last year.
4: Yeah, kind of crazy for such a product that you haven't seen in in decades upon decades. But they're really popular now in baths and in showers to provide light and privacy. Um, However, we're seeing builders come up with other really creative applications, such as door side lights. And one that's my favorite, and that's to provide light in the kitchen. They're installing them over top of the cabinets, you know, generally where you have that like extra soffit. Well, they want to get rid of that soffit because it makes the room look smaller and they're putting transom windows up there. So imagine how much light you can pull into your kitchen by shining that light from on top of the cabinets over all, all the way into that space A really creative use. So if this is the year that you're planning to make that kitchen improvement, think about adding some of these very stylish transom windows to that space.
0: All right, Dale in Georgia is on the line with a question about a shifty front door. (laughs) What's going on, Dale?
5: Our house was built in 1937, and it's still settling um, back and forth spring and winter and summer. And the front door, I've had problems getting it to catch the uh, striker plate, so I've had to move it back and forth. And we're at a point now where the house is settled again, and I can't even latch the front door.
4: How convinced are you that the house is actually moving as opposed to the front door just kind of getting out of whack?
5: Uh, Just about
1: positive.
5: I can see there's a different gap at different times of the year. It'll be like at the top in the summertime and at the bottom in the wintertime. and
4: And what kind of door is this? Is this a metal door, a wood door?
5: No, it's a solid wood door.
4: The solid wood door. And you really like this wood door?
5: Yeah, I think it's the original door. It's got the the handmade glass in it and the ornate decoration around the edges.
4: Right. So you have no interest in replacing the door?
5: No. I put a new door on the back, but I really don't want to lose this door if I can...
4: What I would probably do is essentially rehang the door. So what that's going to require is you removing the trim from around the door inside and out so you can see just the jams because I suspect that the jams are not securely attached to the framing, or they may have loosened up over the years. I would basically want to rehang this as if it was a new door, but maybe with not doing all the work that would be responsible for that. So if you pull the trim out, then you're going to look at the attachment points for the jams. You're going to do one final adjustment, getting the door exactly where you want it. And then you're going to resecure the door jams to the door frame. You need to make sure that the space between the door jam and the door frame is completely shimmed with a wood shim. So you would use wood blocks followed by usually cedar shingles, one from one side, one for the other. If you push them together, they get wider and they get thicker, and they get nice and tight. And then what I would do is I, I wouldn't nail it in. I would actually use a drywall-styled screw, so a long case-hardened screw that you can set just below the surface of the door jamb and then putty over it. Because if you attach them with screws and you shim it properly, that door really shouldn't move. The expansion and the contraction of the door is about all you really should be have left and if it gets tight at one point in the year, I would take the door off and I would trim it a little bit just to make enough room for it to close when it's fully expanded.
5: Okay. That's something I didn't think of. All right. Well, I do appreciate it.
4: Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Pit.
0: Hey, if you've been feeling the chill in your house or just feeling panic over those heating bills, we're going to have tips on the single most cost-effective way to improve both after this.
4: Making good homes better, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
0: And I'm Leslie Segretti.
4: Give us a call right now with your home improvement question at 1-888-MONEY-PIT. Well, with temperatures dropping across the nation, home heating systems are getting a workout, driving energy costs up. One of the best, least expensive, and easiest ways to combat those costs and stay comfortable in your home is to add insulation.
0: Yeah, but how much insulation do you really need and where exactly should you be adding that insulation? For those answers and more, we turn now to Stacey Fitzgerald-Red, the Director of Marketing and Communications for the North American Insulation Manufacturers Association. Welcome, Stacey. Thank you for having me.
4: Stacey, I think the work that's done by your association is fantastic because you really are the experts and you can kind of cut through the, the clutter that we hear in the advertising space and kind of get really to the heart of the matter to what consumers want. And I think what they want to be is comfortable, right? I mean, it just comes down to personal comfort. And if you start there, you can kind of build out and find your solution.
6: Yeah. So definitely what consumers are seeking in their home is to be more comfortable. It's a a place of refuge and sanctuary, so you want it to be as comfortable as it can possibly be.
4: When it comes to that comfort and you look around the house and everyone knows if you add more insulation, you know, it's a good thing. But I think sometimes folks don't understand where it's best to put that insulation. We Mm -hmm. always tell them to to start in the attic because heat goes up and that's where you have the highest amount of heat loss. And the second thing I think folks don't understand is that even though their house was insulated, perhaps when they bought it or when they moved into it or when they built it, things change. And Mm -hmm. when it comes to insulation, more is usually better
6: more is usually better and in fact um, 9 out of 10 homes in the United States are under insulated and what that means is that if you look at current building codes on average 90% of US homes are under insulated in that they were built before modern codes uh, required more insulation within the walls and uh, ceilings and um, the thermal envelope of a building so as a result most people live in a home that has less insulation than than, uh, energy-efficient builders would recommend today.
0: Well, and that's interesting. I think, you know, Tom and I both upgraded the insulation in our homes, and we saw a huge return on investment. And I think that's where people really start to, you know, believe in things is when they see that return and they see their savings.
6: Yeah, and, and I think um, I think the Department of Energy has been out advocating the fact that when you uh, do an insulation uh, upgrade, when you make sure your home is properly insulated, you can save as much as 30% on your energy costs. Uh, and that's a real number to consumers who are struggling to pay high utility bills every month, um, particularly as we are going into the colder month of the year.
4: You know, adding fiberglass insulation um, has also been found to be one of the best, deliver one of the best returns on investments according to the uh, cost versus value study, which is one that we've relied on over the years. Very well done studying by the folks at, uh, at the, the remodeling.net uh, website. Um, you guys have done very well with that. And I think that just speaks to the ease and the importance of this.
6: Yeah. And, you know, when you look at a lot of home improvement projects, right, everybody thinks about the things that people will see when they come into their home, the kitchens and the granite countertops and all those things. People don't often think about insulation because it's not seen. And in fact, uh, adding insulation to your home not only um, helps it become more energy efficient, but it certainly um, increases your comfort. So it is a project, uh, as you mentioned, according, according to uh, remodeling's cost versus value study that not only adds comfort to your home but also adds value uh, providing the largest return on investment for two years running mm-hmm. in terms of home renovation projects. So it is something that I think should be high on the priority list for many homeowners.
4: We're talking to Stacey Fitzgerald Redd. She's the Director of Marketing and Communications for the North American Insulation Manufacturers Association. So Stacey, how much insulation should the average homeowner have?
6: It actually depends on where you live in the country. Um, You can go to the U.S. Department of Energy's website. uh, But on average, uh, you should measure your insulation, particularly if your home was not built, say, within the last 10 years. You should go into your attic measure your insulation, and right now the U.S. Department of Energy has uh, guidance on their website that talks about how much insulation is required for consumers that live in different parts of the country. They should measure their attic insulation, make sure that they have uh, enough insulation in their attic, on average, it's 12 to 16 inches, depending on where you live in the country. And obviously, the colder climates uh, would require more insulation.
0: Now, I think, Stacey, when you get to the interior of the home, you know, we're talking about insulation that's inside the walls, inside the attic. There are so many other spaces on that envelope of the home where you're not insulated, like your windows or your doors. You know, I think people forget that. So what are some of the things that we can do at the window to cut where those drafts could come in?
6: Standard caulk. You can pick it up at any big box uh, uh, home improvement uh, retail store. Um, Everybody has the experience of a relative that they've gone to their house in the middle of winter, and they can literally feel the cold air seeping through the gaps and cracks around the window uh, that need to be sealed. So uh, just a standard regular kind of check of the caulk around that, that window ceiling will do a lot to reduce that air infiltration.
4: You know what also works well we find is if you put heavy window treatments on and because a lot of times the, the drafts that you feel are, are the warm air of your house, you know, striking the cold glass and then falling. And that's the chill that you feel that if you put the heavy window treatments on, you kind of break that uh, convective loop, so to speak.
6: Absolutely. And the other benefit of that is in addition to, um, to you know, just, just making the space warmer, of course, it, you know, generally uh, increases the appearance of the space, but it also provides some sound or, or kind of acoustic benefit. It actually, you know, helps, you know, deflect, really loud sounds uh, that tend to be in
4: space. All right. Great information. Stacey Fitzgerald Red, the director of marketing and communications for the North American Insulation Manufacturers Association. Uh, if you would like more information about insulation and where it goes, how much you should have, how you can find a pro to get it done, that's the type of information that you will find at choosefiberglass.org. That's the website for the North American Insulation Manufacturers Association run by the very capable Stacy Fitzgerald Red. Thank you so much, Stacy, and have a great day.
0: Thank you. All right, Stacy. thanks so much for stopping by the Money Pit. Well, before you head over the woods and through the forest to Grandma's house, you better stock your car with emergency supplies so that trip doesn't turn into a travel nightmare. We're all hitting the roads this weekend. We're going to tell you what you need after this.
1: You live in the Money Pit.
4: Where home solutions live, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler,
0: and I'm Leslie Segretti.
4: Pick up the phone, give us a call right now with your how-to question at 888 Money Pit, or post it to the community page at MoneyPit.com. If you do, we'll toss your name in the Money Pit hard hat because this hour we're giving away not one, not two, but five copies of our book, My Home, My Money Pit: Your Guide to Every Home Improvement Adventure. Yeah, it won't be there by Christmas Eve, guys. But
0: <laughs> maybe it's the thought uh, that
4: counts. It's the thought that counts. Yes, you'll have a nice early January gift um, of our book to enjoy. So give us a call right now. We'd love to hear about what's going on in your money pit. The number is one eight 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 money pit. Well, before you head off to travel over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house you go or there about any other relative you're visiting, now is a really good time to pack yourself a travel emergency kit for your car to help you stay safe and minimize any inconvenience if you happen to break down. Here's what you need in your trunk for everyday travel and a bit of extra preparedness during those longer trips. First, you want to make sure you pick up a good set of reflective triangles, a flashlight and flares. Now for that flashlight, be sure you get one of these new LED flashlights. I got the ones from Husky, they're super bright. You can drop them, they don't break. And I feel like I can really rely on that. I put one in every family member's car including my kids when they're away at college so that I know they'll always have a good flashlight uh, on hand. So use a good quality flashlight. Those reflective triangles are, are important too. You know, the other option are road flares, but they're a bit dangerous to light, especially if you're not familiar with it. The triangles are real simple and they do show up hundreds of feet away. Now, if you do have to pull over, make sure you put safety first make sure you can be seen. uh, And also those triangles will help the towing company or police find you in the dark because you kind of melt right into the background without something like that. And if all the power gets cut in your car, it might be the only way folks are going to see you.
0: Yeah, that is true. You know, you also want to add things like jumper cables, fire extinguisher, water, a blanket, and a first aid kit. Now those basic items can help with so many roadside problems. You should also consider a tire inflator and you want to make sure that your spare tire is in the car and it's in working condition. You don't want to be in the middle of changing a flat tire only to realize that your spare is also flat or not there at all.
4: Good things to think about. Remember, if you do have to pull over, do so in a very safe spot and make sure you are well off the road. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show, and we are here for you with your home improvement questions, your decor questions, your repair questions, whatever's going on in your house. We'd love to help you out, make it better, make it more comfortable, make it less expensive, make it more energy efficient. Help yourself first, though. Pick up the phone. Call us at 888 Pit.
0: William in Illinois is on the line with a heating question. How can we help you with your project?
1: I live in the Midwest here in Illinois. I've got a smaller house, about 1,100 square foot. It's got a addition on the front of the house that is about 12 foot by 10 foot, something like that, relatively small room. It's got a pretty good-sized window facing the road. It's on a foundation but it's not attached to the garage and it's not heated. I don't have a heating duct running out there. It's attached to the attic space, which is insulated. That room gets, it gets cold in the winter and hot in the summer. And I wondered if I just ran a heating duct out there, if that would be enough or should I put a vapor barrier down or should I knock a hole in it to attach it to the basement or, you know, Get up on the bar and insulate and then run a heating
4: duct or what? First of all, whenever you have a standalone space like that, that's that's pushed off the rest of the house, you have more exterior surfaces. So you have more ways for the basically that building to chill. Adding insulation is always, is always a no-brainer. Adding insulation to the floor, adding insulation to the attic, making it as insulated as possible is good. Now, you ask, can I add a heating duct to that? Maybe. Depends on a lot of things depends on the existing layout of your of your HVAC system and whether or not you can get a properly sized supply and return duct to that space. Uh, does this room get heat from the rest of the house, but just not enough heat?
1: It, it doesn't get anything right now. It, it, it has just okay. a door. It was, doesn't get it was anything. used okay. as a bedroom at, at, in the summers, I guess.
4: So what I would do is I would consult with your HVAC contractor to see how difficult it would be and whether or not uh, the pro thought you could get enough BTUs into that room to provide enough uh, heat. And I don't know if it includes the air conditioning or not. If if not, the other thing to look at is what's called split ductless. Basically, you would install uh, what is essentially sort of a miniature heat pump uh, right outside the, the wall of that house. And you would hang on the wall um, a register that has the fan built into it, sort of a blower unit. And that can supply cold air in the summer, and that can supply warm heated air uh, in the winter. And that would basically be a separate heating system for that room, a separate HVAC system for that room. Um, but uh, it's, it's easier than trying to sort of extend sometimes the core system of the house. Does that make sense? Right.
1: Yeah, Yeah. sure does. All righty. Well, I will look into both of those
4: options. Great, William. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
0: Hey, if you're getting ready to set that holiday table and you're looking for a way to dress it up, now's a good time to take a second look at your collectibles. We're going to highlight one that's perfect for the holiday dinner after this.
1: You live in the Money Pit.
4: making good homes better. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
0: And I'm Leslie Segretti.
4: Give us a call right now. We are here to help you with your home improvement projects, your decor dilemmas. The number is one eight 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 888 Pit. Or you can post your question online at moneypit.com. And that is what Julie did from New York, New
0: York. That's right. Julie from New York writes, her Thanksgiving cooking made a huge mess of the kitchen, including the vent hood. And then all the holiday cooking ruined it even more. How the heck can I clean it now?
4: Well, first of all, you've got to take that vent hood apart and pull the filter out. Now, if you're lucky, it's going to be a metal filter. You can throw it into the dishwasher. If it's not, or if it's grimy, if it's falling apart, just order yourself a new one. You can find them online. If you want to try to clean it, you don't have a dishwasher, you can also use a degreasing solution with some warm soapy water or put it on the top rack of that dishwasher if you're worried about it getting damaged. In units that use activated charcoal, though, you can't wash those. You just got to replace them. So I I would just get that out. I would take the light bulb out. I would turn the power off to it and then use some of that degreaser on the inside of it because it usually gets about a quarter of an inch of grease (laughs) all the way around the inside of that. It's kind of a nasty job, but fortunately, uh, you don't have to do it too terribly often.
0: All right. Next up, we've got a post here from Jeff who writes, I have an old 12 inch by 12 inch tile ceiling in the bathroom. The ceiling tiles are sagging due to moisture. Can I drywall over the ceiling tiles without removing it? What? I mean, you
4: could, but why would you want to do that? I mean, those why? ceiling tiles are Wouldn't made of Wouldn't it get
0: like, moldy?
4: Yeah, they're made of like... That's a good point too. They're made of like fiber and they usually come off pretty easily. The pain in the neck part of it is generally there's like staples that have been used to hold them on and you got to take like a needle nose plier and pull out like 300 different staples, you know, from the ceiling. But then you'll have a smooth surface and you can attach drywall to that. I would not just put it over the old ceiling tiles. It's just going to be sloppy. You don't really need it there. Like you said, Leslie, why have it in the wall? Could it get moldy? Yeah, Maybe if there was a bad leak, but I just think it's poor work. So I would pull those tiles down, put the fresh drywall up right over that.
0: Yeah. And then it'll be a brand spanking new bathroom for you. How awesome is that?
4: Well, if you're getting ready to set your holiday table and looking for a way to spruce it up, now is a good time to take a second look at any collectibles that may not have seen the light of day very recently. Leslie has got an interesting history of one type we see a lot during the holidays in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. Leslie?
0: Yeah, you know, we're talking about opaque glass. Now, it originated in 16th century Venice, and it came in a variety of colors, including white pink, yellow, brown, and blue. Now, the white variety that's very popular today rose to prominence during the Victorian era when it was coveted as an economic dead ringer for porcelain. Now, the Victorians also get credit for coining the term milk glass, which is probably what you've heard, you know, us referring to or even just heard in general to this type of glass. Now, its production and popularity waned during the Great Depression, but it saw a big resurgence after World War II. And thanks to a frenzy of mass production during the 50s and 60s from companies such as Anchor Hawking, Fenton, and Westmoreland, the mid century finds are readily available today at flea markets, consignment shops, you know, really not very expensive. You could even say they're available for milk money, if you will. <laughs> so if you've got opaque glass or even similar pottery, dishes, or any other trinket that you love to collect, you can can add these as accent pieces into your table setting and really just sort of playfully arrange them with perhaps some sprigs of evergreen or some cedar. It just really does make a beautiful, totally personal custom table centerpiece. Try it out. You'll love it.
4: This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Coming up next time on the program, if your roof starts to leak when the snow starts to melt, you might have ice dams. This happens when you get heavy snow that's followed by warm days that we get so often this time of year, and the snow melts and it leaks back into your house. It's not pretty. There is a solution, though, and guess what? You might not even have to pay for it yourself. We'll tell you what you need to know on the next edition of The Money Pit. I'm Tom
0: Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone.